We have news from the Far East and the close Midwest this week in Indie Ball. You won't want to miss it here on this week's episode of the Indie Ball Report podcast. We're back again. Episode number 145 of the Indie Bar Report podcast, slowly marching towards 150 episodes. Getting there. We're getting there. It's almost there. Exactly. He's Will. I'm Nick. We talk about Indie Ball pretty much every week. So, yeah, that's what we do here. If you uh, read the title of this episode, you probably got a sense of who we have on. Or if you just listened to the show last week, then you definitely know who we have on because we have the commissioner of the American Association, Josh Schaub, joining the show again uh, this That's week. That's pretty cool. I know, it is pretty cool. It's a pretty cool guy. Uh, so we'll get to him in just a little bit. Good interview. A lot of good information there. Uh, but before that, we have to talk about his actual league because there's fun news coming from that league. There's uh, a bunch of other news as well, but the other news can wait. We want to talk about the American Association to start. Exactly. Exactly. So with that, we're going to kick it off with the direct American Association news and that news from the Far East you heard in the cold open. So Adam Brett Walker, he's a guy that we've talked about a lot on this show. Back-to-back American Association MVP. Baseball America's Independent League or Partnership League Player of the Year. Dude hit a record-setting 33 home runs last year. He came just a few RBIs off the single season record for that as well. The dude just kind of racks up accolades left and right because he's a pretty damn good baseball player, I'd say. Mm-hmm. And yeah, uh, very well deserved. I will say that. Yep. Yeah. Did, did you wait? Did you I say have, I have not said that yet? Oh, okay. You should probably get to. Never I, mind. <laughs> <laughs> I just woke up. I'm uh, I'm all over the place. I'm in the same boat, and at this point, uh, we're just running full steam ahead. Whatever happens, happens. <laughs> and so, that bit of uh, well-deserved recognition comes in the form of a new team for the 2020 season. And that new team is going to be a little bit more, I guess, from the American's perspective, it'd be more Western, but it is actually in the Far East, in that of he's going to be playing in MPB in Japan this upcoming season. But with what team and in what league, you may ask? He's going to be in the Central League. He's going to play with the Yamamori Giants, which for international baseball fans, I suppose that name holds a lot more weight than people that are more U.S.-centric. So the best way of describing the Yamamori Giants is they're essentially the MPV version of the Yankees in that there's about 77 or so actual central, well, not quite 77, I believe they start playing there in in the uh, in 1950, it's 2021, so uh, yeah, 70, 71 seasons. Uh, the point is they've won about 38 of those Central League championships and 22 Japan Series championships. Now, what a Japan Series is, is essentially the Japanese World Series between the Pacific and Central Leagues that make up MPB. Uh, that's basically what we put it. They've won almost half of those things. So when I say they're like the Yankees, I really do mean they win like the Yankees, arguably more so, to be honest. 
Yeah, I think I think the Yankees is a good comparison for for the Giants out there, and you know about Adam Brett Walker. I mean, that's so awesome for him. I mean, if he wasn't going to get put into an if he wasn't going to get signed into an MLB organization, I mean, this is the next best thing. And in a lot of ways, you could argue that this is that this is better in some ways because while it's not as direct of a route to Major League Baseball per se. Uh, you get paid a lot more money in Japan than you do in the minor leagues. Oh, absolutely. Uh, so that, so let's just get that out of the way. Um, and um, it, it's just, it's just really good to see him get an opportunity in Japan, a place where I think he can fare well. Uh, also, um, he has obviously nothing else really left to prove in the American Association and uh, with Milwaukee. So obviously. He's going to get a substantial raise in Japan. It's a it's a great league out there. I mean, it's that Japan is the best non uh, non North non US league that in the world that the world has to offer, really. And so that's it, it's a great opportunity for him, and uh, just just very happy that he was able to get an opportunity out there. Yeah, absolutely. The dude, he's clearly too good for a lot of minor league level teams to be quite honest i mean you hit 33 home runs while you're batting over 300 i mean it it's kind of clear as a day that uh, you're a step above at the very least the pitching in this league and keep in mind too he wasn't just like dh and so he could solely focus on that 84 of the 100 games he played this past year were in the outfield so he was still getting into games he was still playing as a fielder as well which i think you know, a granted it was left field, but still it's it's an impressive feat to do all of that on top of uh, having to field a position. Like you said, well, Japan is the second best league in the world. He deserves to have this opportunity to go over there and prove himself in front of even better competition. The pay is obviously a huge plus for a guy that's been grinding in the minor leagues for some time. I'm sure he got somewhat of a signing bonus. He was a third round pick by Minnesota back in 2011-2012. But I mean, that's 10 years ago now so you know it's finally nice to see him actually get a a substantial paycheck for playing baseball and you know hopefully he goes over there and just completely dominates and that's what you everyone's obviously rooting for here and i i do like the odds of that happening because i mean we mentioned this is a team that knows how to win in yamamori so i'm not yamamori yamori the long and short is the dude deserves this opportunity and i think more so than, you know, being able to play against this bear competition, the money, the, you know, the, there's certain prestige also, you know, playing in like one of the real like story teams in international baseball. And you could really just say baseball in general, because this team's existed since the thirties. So it's not exactly like it's a, a no name team here that just so yeah. happens to win a lot. This is, you know, like I said, it's like playing for the Yankees in Japan. And I think that. That holds a lot of weight too. And finally being able to play in front of crowds of like 25, 30, 35, 40, 45,000 even on a nightly basis. It, it's about as close as you can get to playing in major league baseball without playing in major league baseball. And yeah. again, like, yes, he's 30. So that's certainly going to work against him. But who's used to say you don't go over there, bet 280, hit 28 home runs, 79 RBIs. And, you know, you managed to have an on base of, let's say, 
398, 400. Who's to say a major league team doesn't, you know, come calling? You know, that's certainly a possibility as well. I mean, I'm not sure how the posting all works for international players. I'm not sure if an international or a uh, international player, meaning in reference to Japan, not, you know, an international player coming to the major league, but a player that would be international to a Japanese native league, uh, if they even need to be posted or not. I'm not sure how that whole system I don't works. Think they w- yeah, I don't, yeah. for an American player, I don't think they would. That was my thinking. Signed, yeah. Unless they signed like a, uh, a multi year um, deal. A, a multi, yeah, I think, unless it's like a multi year deal, which I don't think it would be. Yeah. I, I think that it should, that, that it should be fine. Yeah, that was my thinking on it, but I, I just don't know how. The MPB operates. I'm very unfamiliar yeah. with it, to be honest. Uh, uh, so even like some of how Major League Baseball's contract statuses and things work confuse me. With like years of service time as opposed to non years of service time. I just like the NHL way of doing it of just, did you play 15 games? Cool. You're no longer a rookie. <laughs> did you sign a contract? Cool. No matter what, at the end of the year, a contract year comes off. Nice and simple. Keep it easy. There's no need to get complicated with it. With, I know, like I mean, with counting MLB days. You got like yeah. the MLB. You got like it. That's like somehow Randy Rosarena was not a rookie. Uh, it's very. Uh, it's too complex. That's part of the problem, to be honest. I know, honestly. But anywho, so congrats to Adam Brett Walker. Well deserved honor, and I think it also shows that if you can dominate indie ball, if you can just kind of stick with it, you can consistently put up good numbers, consistently, you know, provide value to your team, that there is an opportunity to do more than just go play in affiliated minor leagues in like high A, double A, triple A. If you can legitimately go play in Japan, play in Korea, play elsewhere, and like in Mexico, we've seen that plenty of times as well. There's a lot of opportunities out there if you just kind of keep your head down and keep just playing good baseball. I mean, what what do they say? You know, if you don't like it, play better. So, I mean, if you just keep playing better, eventually someone will sign you. And so, yeah, I mean, not only that, like, I think um, I've heard so many stories of guys, even from from the Atlantic league who just get an opportunity to play like half a season in Taiwan uh, or something like that. And it extends their career another two years just simply because of the financial aspect of it. Yeah. I feel like Tyler Um, Danish was one of those guys, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. I mean, I remember like, uh, I think Corey Reardon said it when he was on like the Mike Ashmore podcast Yeah, at, at one point. So, um, Hmm. So I've definitely heard that, though. Yeah, yeah, definitely, because it definitely helps you. I mean, like, sure if, it gives you just such a huge boost. I'm not even sure even what the salary would be over there, but even let's just say for the sake of argument, you're making a hundred thousand for the season over there. If you play half a season, you walk away with fifty before taxes, I'd assume. And I mean, mm-hmm. even afterwards, let's just say for the sake of argument, you're knocked down to thirty nine. That's still a whole hell of a lot more than you're going to make playing indie ball. So even if you gotta go play indie ball for like a month and a half to get yourself up to about forty, forty-two ish, that still gives you enough salary to last a year before you gotta worry yeah. about that again. It takes a huge relief off, plus it lets you train in the off season doing, you know, your own workout routine, your own schedule. And at most, what are you gonna do? You could work part time wherever, or if you get the flexible hours on. 
It just exactly. it gives you so much more flexibility and lets you go to scouting events. It lets you go work out with pros. It just opens more opportunities. So, I mean, it's obviously a great thing. Yeah, absolutely. So, congrats to him. Awesome, awesome opportunity. Definitely, definitely there. On that note, we'll shift now to Jackson, Tennessee. Now, this is a market we've talked a lot about. We had Adam Friedman on back in the spring to talk about this and the whole situation that was there, and there was a whole back and forth. And now it does appear as though the situation has settled down. We do, in fact, have a team going in Jackson. Now, unfortunately for indie ball fans, it's not going to be an indie ball team, which is why we are talking about it here, because it was supposed to be a market that... A lot of leagues were looking at. I know there were some ownership groups that were interested in it, that were exploring the possibility. I suppose it just didn't go far enough, or they just didn't have a good proposal, or they just didn't like what they saw out of the whole situation, which, given the kind of... uh, I'm trying to figure out how to phrase this politely. uh, Given how chaotic it was, I suppose is the nicest way of putting it, I could understand why you wouldn't want to get involved with that whole situation. But regardless, it is the Prospect League that will field a team in Jackson, Tennessee. That team will start playing in 2023. However, their eight-year lease starts next year in 2022. I believe January 1st is the date I saw that they will take over. Big Inning LLC runs the club, but that club, uh, that LLC is owned by the league commissioner. So, while the league technically doesn't own it because the prospect league doesn't own it, the commissioner of the league does own it. So it's kind of like, I don't own the league, but my brother owns the league type of thing. So that is what it is. Year one, there's just going to be a bunch of scattered events in there while they put together team staff, while they get everything organized, which is probably the right way of doing it if you want a team to last and be successful. So the rent that year is going to be $1. So they could just put other events in there and actually utilize the space. Meanwhile, in 2023, it only listed that in the article, but I'd assume going forward for the rest of the lease, it'll be 70000 a year. And the little topper on all of that is uh, <clears throat> the city will wind up paying the uh, maintenance on it, and well, it's, it's subsidizing, but that means paying for it. Uh, all the other expenses are related to the ballpark that aren't related to events at the ballpark or the teams themselves so we do finally have kind of clarity on jackson it looks like that they will be going uh not to the american association like we had originally thought but instead over to uh summer college ball yeah it's disappointing um i really thought that uh it would be a good opportunity for the American Association, or even even the Frontier League, if that's a thousand uh, avenue they were willing to pursue, mm. um, I thought both of those were, would have been good options for for this Jackson ballpark. Uh, that I mean, it was a double A ballpark, so yeah. I, I was not the best ballpark, but I mean, certainly good enough uh, for any indie ball any indie ball slash partnership league for sure. So I, I think that when it, now that it's it's going to the prospect league, I mean I assume that's a kind of a, a low rent college league. Yeah, yeah, it's um, kind of like I'm not sure how low ranked it is. I didn't look too much into 
you know, how highly regarded the prospect league is, but I think it's kind of like the tier below, like the Northwoods league, how we know like, okay, this is like the premier one for the Midwest. This is kind of like the one underneath it is kind of my understanding. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And so at that point, like, I don't know, for the fans there, I could see that being kind of disappointing. Um, it obviously costs a lot less to run a team there. And I think that's the, that's the major thing we're looking, we're looking at here because it's hard. It's hard for them to lose money on this with a prospect league team in there because you don't pay your players. Yeah. Um, you're literally only paying staff and then obviously other, other stadium costs. And, uh, and when, the ownership group or the prospect league, I guess you could say who owns the, owns the place. I mean, they're not paying anything in rent year one, year two, it's only $70,000. I mean, it's just a lot more of a safe investment to go to summer college ball. Something that we've started to see from other markets uh, that you could, that could have been indie ball markets theoretically, uh, for example, like Frederick or Trent, but Trent's a whole other yeah, situation. But I'm, I'm more thinking like Frederick, uh, which uh, it was a market I was hoping to see in the Atlantic League. But I think that that that's kind of the reality of the situation where teams are kind of weary of going into indie ball because of the expenses more than anything else. And they're willing to do that just, and not really so much worried about the uh, about the the quality of play on the field, and and so I can see why that would be a little bit disappointing for for the fans there going from double A to um, like a third or fourth tier summer college league. Uh, but I also understand from from the ownership perspective, it's hard to lose money on this. It's hard for the city to lose money on this because they're not paying their players. So it's 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 a safe investment. For them, uh, but at the same time, I, I can understand why. At least the indie ball community is probably a little disappointed with this decision, and the fans of Jackson are probably a little bit disappointed as well. Yeah, I like the thing is, I'm not sure how, and I don't want to, you know, cast too much judgment, but I'm not sure how viable the market was. I'm not sure if Winnipeg being there for about two thirds of the year. Um, really changed anything all too much there because i mean they didn't really do great in attendance i don't believe and the ballpark certainly wasn't up to the highest quality could have been at at that point as well now again i'm not sure if that is a result of just the ballpark had been sitting for a while there was a lot going on and it was a last minute kind of decision to get them uh the gold eyes there to tennessee to start the year i'm not sure what the whole setup was and if that's a fair judgment to make or not but it does raise questions about viability there and if you do have those questions as a city council who made the decision to go with the prospect league um then you know obviously picking something that's going to be lower cost to you but more of a guarantee that you're going to get your money as opposed to say renting it to a professional club where you could charge them a hundred thousand hundred twenty thousand uh but you may not get that money by year five at the least because they may be going under because they can't afford to stay afloat. 
as opposed to that summer league where it's like, okay, it's 70,000, but we're pretty confident for the next, you know, six years because the first year is only a dollar. The first, the next six years, we're going to get our 70,000. And in the long run, we're going to make more money than if, you know, they were to drop out after year four or year five. So like in that case, I totally get that. I do think it was a bit rushed. There was some in the article I'd say, um, it's kind of say a, it seemed rushed. We would have liked to see more, but. I mean, at the end of the day, uh, I guess you want to make a decision sooner than later. 2022 is beginning in just two weeks time. So you want to be able to say, all right, we are going to get our plans drawn up for 22. We need the ballpark being up and used uh, all year round or as long or as many dates as possible. So I guess that's why it was made here. But it is, you know, it is disappointing to see it because it would have been a solid market for, I think, the American Association, especially who could have kind of gotten one more team uh, a little bit further east. Yeah, it's a little bit of a bus ride. But I, you know, when it comes to distance, I don't really think the American Association cares that much if they like the market because, I mean, they have a bus trip from Winnipeg to <clears throat> Cleburne, Texas. And at one point we're doing a bus trip from Winnipeg to El Paso, Texas. So, I mean, distance doesn't seem to really be a major consideration when uh, founding teams. Yeah, I think that's a good way to put it. It, it isn't, it, it's not really, uh, it, it's not a big deal. So I, I would have liked to see them possibly, you know, take a chance in the, uh, in one of the leagues, but uh, not to be. So uh, I guess we'll have to move on for the dreams of adding Jackson. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's just the way it is. It's just the way it goes. And on that note, uh, we do get to go back to some positive stuff here because we are going to now swing over to our interview with the commissioner of that American Association and Josh Schaub. The second time he's been on, first time in a little over a year because we had him on right before... Uh, he announced that they were playing a shortened season in 20. And so we talk a little bit about that. We talk a little bit about the future of the league. And there was a lot of meat left on the bone. So after we were done, because he, you know, he had other things to do today. He's very busy. He then texted me after and said, I know we had to cut it a little bit short. Definitely want to come back on and talk about this stuff again. So we're going to have him on again, probably not too far into the future, or at least hopefully not too far into the future. And we'll definitely be able to continue the conversations we were having. So... Uh, with that said, do we have anything to really add before the interview begins? Um, I don't think so. I mean, it was, I thought it was a, I thought it was a really nice interview. He was uh, Josh Schaub is always entertaining. Yeah, coming on for sure. So uh, I, I think that uh, I, I'm really excited for people to hear it. Um, I think it went well. Oh, absolutely. Definitely has great personality and a lot of energy. So uh, with that said, we'll show you what we mean. Here is our interview with the commissioner of the American Association, Josh Schell. We are back again this week to continue our interview series, and we do have a repeat guest, but he is a very good guest. And this time, we're going to get more than just a couple of minutes. Uh, this week, we are talking with the commissioner of the American Association, Josh Schaub. Welcome back to the show. The last time we spoke here, I had asked you, are Hub Cities an option for the 2020 season, if we have a 2020 season? And you were kind of dancing around the fact that, yeah, that's what we're going to be doing. But I do appreciate that's what wound up happening, even if I didn't get a direct answer. 
for about three days until I got a press release while I was editing that interview. <laughs> yeah, um, it's funny you bring that up because yeah. I look back and how far away 2020 is in the rearview mirror now mm-hmm. and how far we've come since then. And, you know, the fact we're even talking about hub cities, it kind of gives me anxiety Yeah, because I remember the stress prior to that happening April, May, about what are we going to do? Yeah. And uh, I, I still say I was interviewed uh, for another magazine about the most or the biggest challenge ever overcome in my career, and that still may be it, is pulling off a traditional circuit in the beginning of the pandemic when so much was unknown, and more importantly, doing it safely for fans and players and personnel. I mean, that was, for the American Association as a whole, a huge accomplishment, something that has given us a lot of momentum moving forward into seasons to come. Yeah, I can only imagine what that challenge is like to have to, you know, first off, work on all the economic side of it. That's just a, a major, major fiasco in and of itself. But then to especially look at the teams that all signed up for that. And obviously part of the way through the season, they managed to, you know, start to play in their own home ballparks, Winnipeg being a notable exception there. And then Winnipeg, obviously, this year not being able to start at home but finish at home still. But I imagine that whole that whole thing was just so, like you said, it was so anxiety presiding that uh, it it must be something you look back on though with at least some real sense of accomplishment, if not still some sort of anxiety to it, like you say. But, but uh, it's like PTSD thinking back to that because honestly, it's. It's not just the economics and everything else, but everyone's anxiety around the pandemic, which is understandable, yeah. Yeah. right? So, but yeah, so I guess with that, uh, I'll kick it off by asking just kind of like a general overall question, which is still going back to to the 2020 season or more or less the end of it, which was what was the whole, I guess, reshuffling of the minor leagues like for the league? Because obviously, you guys lost, um, you lost St. Paul, which was a notable loss. They have been a team that's, you know, a cornerstone franchise across minor league sports, really. But you did gain Kane County. So I'm kind of wondering what was that whole process like a little bit? Not as much anxiety, obviously, as the pandemic. But I will say it was um, trying to predict the future, trying to get sources. It was almost like you're an investigative reporter trying to predict what was going to happen, who was going, who wasn't, mixed messages coming from all over the place. And then really for us worrying about geography because St. Paul sat in the middle of what was, I guess, two clusters or two divisions of teams. And it was a bridge geographically. And, you know, we finally got the word, I believe it was around November. And I still kept the letter from Marv Goldklang that someday hopefully it'll go in the Baseball Hall of Fame. But indicating they're finally going to leave to become the AAA affiliate of the Twins. And by the way, congratulations to that. You know, and that's great for our league that they were able to jump from the American Association very successfully to AAA, speaks about the quality of our league, quality of our operators. And so we get that letter, and then the next part is who's out, right? So there's another group. We lost St. Paul. All right, who is not going to get a PDL from Major League Baseball? And it ends up being King County. So we went through an expedited but still very thorough diligence process uh, with Dr. Bob Fralick and his staff, Curtis Haug, over at King County about whether they'd be a fit for the American Association. And after putting them through the paces there, we found out they were. And we were very fortunate to have King County. They were very successful in the seasons, obviously coming out of pandemic, as I think the baseball world knows tremendous operators in terms of group sales and group outings there. Uh, they were an awesome fit for the American Association. We were very proud to have them. And I will tell you, in just 
anecdotally talking to them or their anecdotal conversations with fans, nobody really cared whether they were affiliated or not. In fact, many commented they appreciated the step up in the level of play, which I don't think anyone would dispute the American Association is a step up from A-ball. The only thing you may be missing is 19- and 20-year-old projected phenoms that may or may not make it to the big leagues. But we market differently. We market to play to win because we're not – traditionally or i guess focused on development of players we obviously want to players to change and get better so they can go back to major league baseball or find their way to major league baseball for the first time but our players go out with the intent to win for their city which is a complete deviation from affiliated baseball so i think the fans in king county appreciated that and um, we look forward to 2022 and the return of their group sales business yeah, absolutely. I mean, when you added King County, I was like, okay, they did get the one uh, of the non-PDL teams that really did look like a solid marketplace. They looked like a solid team. Obviously, it was them, Lexington, and Tri-City. It's kind of the big three that everyone was like, okay, where are they going to yeah. land? And every league wound up getting one of them. But it definitely was a, a real monumental moment to have all that kind of change happening. And kind of in, in the background, not directly related to it, but your league was also kind of spearheading this kind of new push, I think, into a technology space that we hadn't really seen in, I guess, now a partnership league, but it's still pretty much referred to as independent leagues at the end of the day, uh, in the A baseball TV and the whole digital marketplace. So I'm kind of just going to wonder, and this will be my last question before I toss over to Will uh, for a little bit, is uh, what kind of brought about the whole push into the digital space? Was that kind of uh, from experience uh, running other leagues was it kind of just uh this is what i think we need to do to really kind of move the brand forward and reach a newer audience the type of audience we think we we need to reach to survive not to survive but to really thrive uh but if you could just kind of talk about that exploration into the digital space a little bit yeah the digital excuse me the digital initiatives are part of more of a five-year vision so the okay. one five-year vision one-year plan yeah and it wasn't just the digital, it was the rebrand of the league, the new logo, and then bringing what I believe was probably an antiquated league in terms of where we're at from a web perspective, social perspective, uh, digital outreach to fans, content, and just bringing it forward to get us on par with what I consider some of the best minor leagues out there. Going forward now, it's a lot more about innovating and being the leader in the digital space among leagues. So what we do is we scrape best practices from other leagues, and it's not necessarily that we copy them, but we take it as uh, inspiration, right, for yeah. something that we might do to give the American Association brand tone to some things we do digitally. The other thing that kind of speaks to this, or um, I have in my favor for the league, is that I come from the law practice that was in emerging technologies. So yeah. I fortunately represented a lot of sports tech companies and have access to accelerators with kind of the emerging technology within sports. And I'm able to marry some of those things with the American Association, whether it be through pilots, like I said, inspiration, uh, integration. So integrating one uh, vendor, tech vendor, with another tech vendor to try to create the better product. So in the offseason in 2021, we have a lot of that going on. And it may not be things that fans see until 2023, but it's the integration of technologies we're really working on right now to make a better product for our fans, getting access to the heroes in the American Association, uh, just having better transparency in the league, trying to integrate multiple apps into one, so on and so forth. So yeah. that is the history and context of you know our push into digital technology and a little preview into where we're going. 
Oh, it's absolutely fascinating to me, and it's going to be very interesting to see what you do, because already I know uh, between just the fan-facing uh, different aspects of it, it's certainly a very intriguing and very interesting and keeps makes it very easy to keep up to date with the league uh, for everybody. So with that, I'm going to let Will jump in here, because I know I've been talking for a little bit now, and I definitely want to get him involved. So, Josh, I wanted to ask about uh, the MLB partnership and becoming a, a partner with in general, so we're we're more we're over a year uh, into the American Association being a, a partner league and being uh, so closely associated with Major League Baseball. So I was curious, like at this point, from your perspective, uh, how, how do you think uh, this partnership has affected the American Association? Like comparing it to uh, when you guys were completely independent and completely. Uh, just uh, independent from every from Major League Baseball in general. How do you think that partnership has benefited you guys? I'd love to know more about that. Well, one, I mean, right now we have a Major League Baseball logo, which gives us cachet for the casual fans. I think for any fan um, that walks into our ballpark and see, sees that MLB logo, it gives credibility and ticket integrity, meaning we are associated with the best brand of baseball in the world. Now, previous to that, I think our logo and our brand was just fine. But it is an additive to it, an additive cachet. The storytelling becomes much easier, too, to the casual fan. And um, one of our owners and myself both believe that it's always a great litmus test going to any market, talking to your Uber driver about the team in town. And oftentimes it's, yeah, I know them. I'm not sure who they're affiliated with. Now you can tell the story much easier that here's this team. We're partnered with Major League Baseball. Our labor pool is primarily free agents coming out of Major League Baseball. We're not associated with any team, but those players transition back to affiliated baseball. So the storytelling around that is awesome. I would say we just came off of four days in Orlando, obviously, at the winter meetings, where we met with Major League Baseball about one baseball, the, the theory of Rob Manfred of getting us all under one tent in certain respects. Um, I, I very much look forward to some unveiling of some new initiatives from Major League Baseball coming out of Orlando. But fans should note as well, and I'm speaking only for the American Association, that we still retain our autonomy. You know, we still run our own league. We do whatever we want to do in terms of rules. We still um, create our own policies and procedures for our players. There is no, I guess, hand over us for Major League Baseball in terms of controlling our league. So fans should know that. But what we do have looking forward to is joint marketing initiatives to grow the game of baseball, which is important to us. So it'll be more of a lending of best practices for Major League Baseball, certain initiatives, and yet the American Association will be what it always has been, which is the game you grew up loving, uh, a league that plays to win, and one that obviously has its own sources, I guess, roots in Rebel Baseball, meaning we went where affiliated baseball didn't want to go and has thriving professional baseball in those cities. So that will continue, but the added marketing cachet for Major League Baseball will help us grow. And I wanted to ask more about uh, that kind of uh, the game, you, in your words, the game you grew up loving. Uh, while there's so many changes around uh, in, in other independent leagues, of course, uh, do you find that the fan, that fans of the American Association are, are more appreciative of, of that aspect of it? We hope so. Um, you know, there's been some drastic changes in professional baseball, and I'm not saying that they didn't have to happen. I think I hope people understand that we have to evolve as a sport and if you look back historically in professional baseball it has evolved many many times and rules have changed so on and so forth that being said i think we as a professional sport have also lost the romanticism around baseball part of that romanticism is it's still the game 
you played when you were young in certain respects. So we hope to maintain that. Um, we, as a league, the American Association, are going to have to make some changes and continue to evolve. Pace of play is an issue for all of baseball. How big of an issue, I think, depends on who you're talking to. We believe that fans, whether it's three hours or four hours, enjoy playing, or excuse me, enjoy watching American Association baseball. But we want our fans to be able to watch the whole game before they have to go home. And so we're going to have to change to a certain respect. So we try to keep the roots of the game you grew up loving, the things that made it nostalgic, the things you can be romantic about, and still be able to tweak things here and there uh, to continue to evolve and attract new fans and retain fans. Interesting. And I think when uh, when you mentioned kind of uh, tweaking things from here and there, that actually perfectly leads into what I wanted to ask about next, which is uh, in the middle of, of last season, you guys, uh, uh, the American Association unveiled a, essentially a new playoff system with the second and third place teams in each division uh, playing that, that one game playoff before uh, before going into the division championship series. And how did that come about? And what did you guys see that uh, made you like it so much to, to bring it back again? I was I've, I have been very honest about this um, when I was at games doing interviews and whatnot is that was brought about because of the border issues with Winnipeg in terms of they were able to go home. Other teams couldn't bring their full teams because of the timeline for testing and not knowing what the testing protocols would be and having to get the players vaccinated and tested and so on and so forth. So it created some inequities. So I am not in favor typically of changing any rules midseason, any rules. Like I, I actually believe it hurts most times. However, here, what we try to do is an inequity that was given to us by the governments turn it into something equitable, which meant creating some expanded playoffs. The one-game playoff, in my estimation, had phenomenal results. If you look, and internally we were able to, at our engagement from a social perspective, our web traffic, and our viewership traffic, it spiked for those one-game playoffs. Winner-take-all. The energy, the emotion, especially in Cleburne, because it was such a tight game until the end. I've never seen like anything like it in the American Association. I mean, they had drums going, they had arguments. I mean, it was just so awesome to see the one-game playoffs. We took that digital engagement and the viewership and the spiking, and going into 2022 now, we expanded the playoffs to include eight teams, which we know down the stretch, when teams are trying to make the playoff, it's going to keep more fan bases engaged. And now we have data because of the tech initiatives to gauge that. So now we have an eight-team playoff, so four teams won't make it. But I guarantee out of those four teams that won't, those fan bases will be engaged till the end. Something that I think minor league sports fights, especially in professional baseball, when football starts to crank up, audiences start to wane. And we're fighting that. And the one way we're doing that is through the eight-team playoff. Right. The, and I, I just want to bring in Nick here because I know we've got a broad range of topics there if you wanted to add anything else there. Yeah, I kind of wanted to continue on that uh, playoff train. And obviously, this now goes into the 2022 season because now there is a little bit of a different playoff structure, something that is vaguely familiar to me just through the Southern Professional Hockey League in that now if you finish atop your division, you get to pick your opponent. And so to me, that is something that's very interesting and very fascinating. And when me and Will were talking on a different episode about the various different ways you can structure a playoff, I always said this is always a possibility. 
And certainly if you have the, the online presence or the platform to be able to say stream teams making that selection of who they're going to play, you can make a whole event out of it. And it certainly, in my opinion, could create an environment where if your team just got called out saying that they want to play us because they think that we're the worst of the playoff teams that are, they're eligible to pick from, that creates a bit of a chip on your shoulder if you're the team that got selected by that top tier team. So uh, that whole playoff structure is really something that's fascinating to me. So I was just kind of wondering how that whole system got set up and how that got put in place. And if there was other options on the table was retaining a wild card game and having just, you know, a handful of teams, uh, you know, more of a traditional structure, make the postseason, uh, just that whole, that whole period there really. Yep. So, I'll answer the latter first. Excuse me. Yeah. One game wild card was on the table, but if you look at the travel perspective for the one game playoff, it was tough. I mean, we had maybe the worst case scenario we possibly could have had last year. And it was just very difficult for that team traveling, go down for one game, turn around and come back home and play the next game. So that to me, unless we figure it out, some sort of travel arrangement days off that one game playoff probably could not be replicated or should not be replicated. Mm. As far as the, Winner chooses opponent. As I stated earlier for the earlier question, we were inspired by the SPHL and what they did. So we, we again, you know, it's a game you grew up loving, but we continue to evolve to create those marketing opportunities. And there is a huge marketing opportunity for a team to come out on video, social, a baseball.tv and says, you know, I think of like the WWE interviews where I want you, I want Hogan, I want Hogan, you know, something like that. Um, yeah, we look to create some buzz just around those announcements. Yeah, I, I can only imagine what you guys are going to be able to do between the whole variety of guys you have, especially because I have this whole vision in my head of how this is going to look on a baseball TV. And then, you know, the the day or so after when we get that the whole wraparound uh, with Carter Wadiel, it to have him go around and talk to each of these players or coaches and everything. I had this whole setup there. And I guess on that note, uh, how would you, because I talked earlier and we talked earlier about the whole uh, digital engagement. How would you say from the social media standpoint uh, that went this past year? I know it goes into what we just talked about earlier, but would you say that it got to where you want it to be this year? Was there anything that you thought, okay, we could do a bit better in this area? Was there an area that you think, obviously you said you had the five-year vision, but was there anything from year one that you said, okay, we need to improve on? Or was there everything you said, okay, I like how it turned out? We, uh, our goal is to grow each social channel by 25%. I think we grew them by 35 to 40% depending okay, on the channel. Right. So, so we were very happy with the results there. I would say going forward, our fans should look forward to di- more diverse content. Okay. And we're really refining what we do with the across the association. So that was a long form studio show, yeah. which is coming back next year, but we'll be in short form. Mm-hmm. So it'll be four minute segments distributed throughout the week. And then we're adding content, which you're gonna. There's gonna be announcement coming up. We're gonna have some off-season content, which for our hardcore baseball fans will be extremely intriguing. And we think it'll grow actually the hardcore baseball audience from beyond just American Association fans into some hardcore Major League fans that want to pay attention to some stuff we're doing. And then in general, we're really getting diverse and broadening our appeal to a lot younger demographic through another piece of content, which we're gonna hopefully announce here soon. And I'm taking a page out of the shoe company's playbook okay. in when we do this content. So I'll have to come back on 
when we yeah. announce what it is, but we're very excited about two new pieces of content coming out from a social perspective. And really, by the way, it talks about who we are as a league being an entertainment company versus just a baseball league. I mean, we're certainly going to be looking forward to have you on to talk about that too, but uh, I'm, you definitely have me very interested about uh, where this is going to go from here because I I really did like how you had it set up here and I definitely am interested in the uh, in the future there. Okay, so then with that said, if you have anything else left to add, then uh, uh, we'll let you do that now. Uh, if not, then, you know, hey, we're good. <laughs> no, I just want to thank you, gentlemen. I apologize again. I need to run, but as I said, coming out of Orlando, there is a lot of work to be done in the American Association in a very positive way. Um, and there's a lot of positive momentum going on in the industry coming out of COVID, major changes on the affiliated side, um, reverberating through the partner league. So there's a lot of work to do. And I, our American Association fans should be very excited about the future. We very much look forward to 2022. And I very much look forward to coming back on the show and finishing up of what we started here today. Yep, we certainly look forward to having you back on. We appreciate you taking the time to do it. Again, we'd just like to thank Josh for taking the time to come on. We know he's a very busy guy. As you may have been able to kind of hear in the background, I'm not sure if noise reduction uh, knocked out his GPS instructions, but uh, we definitely squeezed into the schedule there and he was kind of driving around while he was doing the interview for us and that's why we was kind yeah. of like an abrupt ending there uh, and why we're definitely going to have him back on not too far into the future it's just a matter about finding a date that's really what the issue is right now so again thanks to Josh for coming on we definitely appreciate it and look forward to having him back on again to continue the conversation that we were having and also a couple of other questions as well that uh, we weren't quite able to get to yeah yeah for sure i think that they're definitely i mean i know there's a couple things uh, uh there's a couple things i wanted to ask as well but you know it, it, it happens he's obviously a super busy guy um but and uh he's very generous with it he's very generous with his time uh anyway so uh absolutely completely appreciate the time i thought it was a really good interview honestly yeah. I thought we got a lot of insight into, especially how, what the process was behind all like the mid-season rule changes last year. I thought yeah. it was really interesting to hear. Uh, and, and so I think that that part was really interesting. Uh, and I mean, overall, it's just, I was, I, it was, it was, he's a very interesting guy and you just love to, love to get any chance to talk to him. And uh, I thought it went well. Oh, absolutely. Definitely did. And I mean, he, everything that and also the five-year plan the tech side no i focused real heavy on that um that i found interesting i thought that it was very intriguing because it seems like they're the only league that really does put all that kind of emphasis on the tech side i mean you see a little bit with the frontier league and the atlantic league starting to grow that side a little bit more after their twitter account might as well have been deactivated for three months but you know they're the first ones to really go all in on it, really invest time and money into it. And it shows. And I think that is tremendously important. And I mean, you even saw, it. look at how many sports center plays they had this year. Yes, that's on the players for making the plays and giving them the content. But it's also on the league for being able to record it and distribute it correctly and to get the whole league to buy in on the whole social media aspect. And really, every team has one or two things that you can point to and say, yeah, they bought in. Look at what they're doing here. And to have the whole AA Baseball TV 
I mean, if you're going to be charging about 13 a month, if you're going to be charging that, though, you have to make it worth their while. You can't just say, well, you can watch all the games and that's it, because that's great for like May, June, July and August and September, I suppose. But October through April, I mean, what, what exactly is it worth it to me? But you have to add other ancillary content there, too, which they do with the A baseball TV. They do with the whip arounds, although granted, those are on uh on the social media pages but there's other things there there's other team content and what i'd really like to see is some teams really buy in and use the platform too. put whatever content you know you make long form you may have on your website put it on the aa baseball tv too maybe do some player interviews maybe do some manager interviews maybe have like a play breakdown or you know something like that on there i think that'd be really cool and a really great way to kind of promote the whole thing and, you know, I think there's a lot of opportunities there. And I certainly think that the players have great personalities. I certainly think the players are obviously high quality. And I think that you could really capitalize on that kind of intersection there by distributing it more. So it's interesting to see that they're the only league that's really gone heavy into it. I'd hope the Frontier League does with their streaming service as well now being there. But uh, we'll wait and see if they do that. But yeah, in any case, it was great to have Josh on. Great insight from him. I, I just I just really want to see, as far as teams picking their playoff opponents, I just need to see that televised. That's all I'm asking for. Oh, yeah. Uh, it, it's You got to have it. You just got to have it. And yeah. I think that's, that's the thing. I, I really just hope they do a good job with it. Like, honestly, and I hope they're listening because I assume they would be if, you know, Josh is on. I assume either he's listening or Josh Buckholz or someone from the league's on listening to it. What I really, really want to see, take a note out of the NCAA selection committee's playbook and have the teams that are in the postseason, have them gather, do it when they have a practice or something and it's right after practice and have them gather around as the picks get made. So that way we can see the reactions live to it, to who Kansas City selects and all that. Because I want to see the reaction there and then maybe pull their manager on, maybe pull their GM on, maybe pull like uh, as close to a veteran as you do have in each of the rooms on to talk about the selections. Like obviously you go with whoever's first and you say, all right. Uh, we made the selection because this, we think we match up better than them. Even if it's just the generic sports, we like our matchup. We believe that we have uh, um, the highest chance of winning against them. They're a great ball club. No disrespect to them, but we like the matchup the best. Then go to the other guy that just, you know, got selected there and interview them and go, yeah, we feel disrespected. We had a great record. We had a great season. They think they can just steamroll over us, matchup or not. We're a better baseball club than there, and we're going to go out there. We're going to show it. Like, I want to see that. You can use that for so much promotional value. Like, I want to see the reaction, and I want to see the interview immediately after. That, if you hit those two things, I don't see how it can't be good. Yeah, it's just everything positive, at least from, from the fan perspective, from the league perspective. I'm just excited for it. I, I hope they. I hope it is kind of televised, and um, and that's something we get to see because I think that's it's real. It's it's real stuff, and I think that, uh, um, and, and I think that it's it's something that I think the fans really really want to see, uh, and I think they could it could use some extra drama. It really could add some of that extra drama. 
and I, I, I want to see that. So I hope they, I hope they do something with that. Oh, I hope so too, and I'm, I'm sure, I'm certain they will. Uh, on that note, we do have to move on to the last two items of news for this week, and that is the Southern Illinois Miners. We have an update on their condition. Obviously, the teams no longer exist. Ownership retired, and that's that. However, the ballpark itself was still kind of up in the air. There was a lot of kind of rumor and speculation. Maybe another team could go in there, and that appears to be doubtful now. So the ballpark has been sold to Marion Center Project LLC. The goal is for them to become a sports tourism hub, uh, mainly youth tournaments at least to start. It's going to be a multi-sport complex, really. That's going to appeal to, I assume, baseball, softball, uh, football, soccer, lacrosse probably as well. You know, a lot, basically most field sports is what's going to be used uh, for. So that certainly does make it seem like it's not going to be a professional uh based team out of there anymore at least not for the foreseeable future especially if the ballpark itself has been sold this isn't even like a well when the lease is up type thing it's until current ownership says uh maybe we should just go with a, a pro team instead so it looks very doubtful i will say at least from this now it's still entirely possible that you say hey we'll bring in the, another indie ball team toss them in there and schedule the youth tournaments in there as well but i mean if we're being honest with ourselves it's awfully hard to be a sports tourism hub when you have to commit 40 plus dates a year to a professional sports club. And seeing as they are in Illinois, uh, it's not exactly like the winter months are very usable. Yeah, I think to me, the word, the, the phrase sports tourism is an interesting phrase that uh, I don't, that I think could be confusing to some. How I took it is essentially. They're going to host a bunch of like I think their market more is like youth travel tournaments or yeah. uh, club ball tournaments and trying to be like because there's so there's some like complexes and, and Nick you know I mean they're, yeah. they're all around you they're they're around New Jersey of oh, course yeah. Diamond Nation down in Flemington uh, I mean at least uh, on Long Island there's uh, oh, what is it called. I can't remember now, but they have like a huge like baseball heaven, maybe it's called. Okay, I, I don't remember. I don't remember at the moment, but they were they have like really just state of the art facilities, and uh, and they just get to host and they host tournaments like every week. Uh, sometimes perfect games there. Sometimes uh, it, different people are hosting different tournaments there. Uh, yeah, the, the one thing you would obviously run into a problem with. Uh, as far as Southern Illinois, it would have to be like a, it would have to be kids that are old enough to play on a 60, 90 field. Yeah. Uh, however, I think that that's really where they're looking for. Maybe just looking to be that showcase type of uh, that show, maybe like running high school showcases, uh, like college prep showcases for, for those kind of scouts. I think that's what more the what they're looking for when they say "quote unquote" sports tourism, and of course they can use uh, this field for other sports, uh, as I'm sure that they're going to be looking for soccer, lacrosse, uh, any any of those other uh, field sports you could theoretically use it for. I mean, you could probably, well, actually, I don't know if you could. Yeah, maybe you could. I guess you could use softball if you like mess with the infield a little bit and like put like a. Yeah, I mean, it's like, like a synthetic turf. Fence. Yeah, it, it's an artificial turf. 
I, I think it is. I believe so. I can look that up real quick. But well, if it is, then that, that shouldn't be too difficult. Yeah, I mean, then um, it's just a matter of moving the bases, really. Exactly. So and then you put like a little portable fence in there for softball, and then you're good to go, and then you could host softball. Mm, yeah, exactly. I think that's the same exact thing they're going for. They're going for those travel teams. They're going for for the showcases. They're going for all of that. I could see them trying to get a county tournament in there. You know, the standard kind of affair. Yeah, and I, I think like county tournaments, maybe like the Illinois State Baseball Championships, you can get them there. Like, uh, th- there's a lot of po- I could see that being a lot of possibilities. At least it gives them more flexibility uh, to to use this this great field for for tor- for tournaments like that. Um, instead of, I-, I can see why this is more of a look into the future than say joining another independent league. You know, exactly. I think it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, judging by the uh, the video that's still up on the minor website. It definitely looks to be synthetic turf. Okay. So yeah. uh, then that makes it easy then. Yeah. Yeah. It definitely looks. It doesn't say it explicitly here, but um, yeah. Plus it can seat 4,500. So it definitely makes it seem like this is the right call to do this. Uh, you know, I think it does make a lot of sense to, uh, you know, make that kind of changeover. It's still extremely, you know, disheartening i guess to see that it's not going to be an indie ball team anymore especially because it's sure. a nice ballpark it certainly is very nice so it's unfortunate that i came to that but you know it is what it is things move on things change so yeah i guess uh, uh, that's the way it kind of goes so yep yeah uh, on that note, though, we'll go to something a little bit less sad, and we will move to Staten Island. We talked to Eric Shuffler last week, and we have another hiring, a hiring that I believe he even teased in that interview, and it is the assistant GM role. It has been filled by Alyssa Morell. Uh, she is 26 years old and comes from the Brooklyn Cyclones organization. She was previously the marketing and promotions director or manager over in Brooklyn, a University of Florida graduate. Um, yeah, she's going to handle the corporate partnerships, marketing, and promotions over in Staten Island. Um, immediate reactions to this, Will? Yeah, I think that it makes a lot of sense to uh, to have uh, Morel go from marketing and promotions with the Cyclones. I'm sure I'm sure she knows uh, Perone Gary Perone very well mm-hmm. from the time in. Uh, from their time in Brooklyn. So I'm sure um, she is somebody that Gary Perone knows very well. Uh, and specifically marketing, marketing and promotions is going to be so important when trying to get this club off the ground and having it picking up more steam than it had when it ended as a Yankee affiliate. Um, I think marketing and promotions is obviously such a massive part of that. So I think having someone with that kind of background as an assistant GM is very important. And not only that, she's very young. She's yeah. she's twenty six, right? Yeah. And I think that when we had um, when we had, of course, Shuffler on, yeah. we talked so much about how Staten Island was trying to look into the future. Uh, specifically, I know the topic I loved I loved hitting on was the uh, was the sports gambling aspect of it, yeah. uh, and really and trying to appeal um, to to those younger people. And trying to get them to have have a night out at the ballpark. I think having somebody um, who is that kind of age that you're targeting 
is uh, is is a really good idea. And uh, of course, Brooklyn does a lot of things right as far as their organization is one of the one of the best uh, one of the best run minor league organizations. Really, uh, they've had so much success. So I think really just taking off that tree is is, a, is a definitely a good idea. So uh, this sounds like a it sounds like a very good hire. Yeah, no, I definitely and I like what you pointed out there with uh, you're trying to target a younger demographic, so you get someone that's part of that demographic to appeal to them, and that makes an awful lot of sense. It's something I didn't think about because when I first saw 26, I was like, oh, okay, if, you, if you're hiring 26 year old, hey, I'm 24, you can hire me too. So on that note, I, I will say, on a serious perspective, I was a little bit surprised that 26 was going to be there. I know some of the other people that were applying to that, and they have like 20 years of experience in this, in promotions, in marketing, in what could be considered an assistant GM role. And, you know, at least for what morale is going to be handling. But, you know, obviously you want someone that can reach out and appeal to that demographic and, you know, improve that ballpark experience. Make sure the corporate partners are happy because at the end of the day, they're a large chunk of your revenue. Obviously, gate attendance is huge. But, I mean, if gate attendance is one, corporate partnership is two. I think they're kind of an A and a B type situation there. So, uh, you know, that's important there. Uh, on that sense, I also I'm not really surprised that one of the guys that Gary Perone hired from being an intern in 2017 to being the kind of the head of what she was interning in in 2018 is um, now moving over in 21 to Staten Island. And that seems to make sense that you're going to have your your GM hire somebody that they know, hire somebody that they trust, that they can work with. Um, to a role that is important like this so that makes a lot of sense there and that in that uh, regard too so it's gonna be very interesting to see here i think clearly if you went from being an intern in 2017 to being an assistant gm in 2021 you clearly are competent you clearly know what you're doing you're clearly good at your job and university of florida if i'm not mistaken has a very strong sports management program as well Mm -hmm. so that is something that is positive as well uh I'm going to be interested to see where it goes here because obviously they wanted a lot of a local focus. And I mean, yes, three years working in market in the uh, Brooklyn area. Staten Island is obviously a bit different than Brooklyn is, but there is still some knowledge of that marketplace. I wonder if that's going to be or how that's going to be transitioned over. But I do think it's a good hire. I do think it's an extremely interesting hire. And I want to see where it goes from here. Yeah, for sure. I, I th- I'm confident, though. I think uh, it sounds like a very good hire, and I think they made a good decision. Absolutely. Definitely agree with that. And so uh, with that said, we are out of news for the week. Uh, hopefully you guys enjoyed the interview. Hopefully you guys enjoyed the show. Uh, we have another interview scheduled for next week. This time we're bringing on Mike Coltac, Lexington Legends. I know we're going back to the Legends well again, and uh, we're going to be very interested to talk with him. We've, uh, you know, talked with him for a while in DMs and whatnot. He sent us care packages before. Well, really the whole Legends front office did, but he was the one who wrote at least a note for mine. So I appreciate that. And, uh, yeah, we're going to be talking to him. And so if you want to know anything Legends related, be sure to, uh, you know, send us a question. We'll ask it. That's kind of what we do here. So, uh. You can, you can look forward to that. And that will be the last interview we have for 2021. There'll be a lot in 22, but for now, that'll be the last one for 21. And then we have our Q&A after that, which, by the way, 
start sending those questions until we have a handful of them but not enough to really you know encapsulate the spirit of doing a whole episode with it so be sure to keep sending those in there'll be a social media posting or two asking for questions as well uh sometime this week too so uh that said we can go to the plugs unless you have anything to say for uh coltac or the q a I don't think so. Very, exci- very excited for the interview next week, I will say. Yep. So, uh, with that said, we'll go to plugs now. If For those social media channels that were aforementioned, you can find them Indie Ball Pod on Twitter. You can find them uh, ALPB underscore news and Indie Ball Report on Instagram. You can find the links to everything we discussed today and uh, all the articles we write and all everything on the website indieballreport.com normally the social media posts that are really articles that are just posted in social media by so that way I, I know people are seeing them and reading them are normally they're posted in mass uh on saturday or so so you could check up on everything that's been written over the past month now and or actually you could check on everything from the past week now because this is coming out on saturday i just realized that as we record on a friday so a lot of good stuff over on the website. Check that out. Solid there. Um, that being said, you can also follow the show wherever you find podcasts. Tune in, Stitcher, Spotify, Podomatic, uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio. Like I said, the whole nine. Uh, if you can find podcasts there, you could probably find us there as well. That being said, do we have anything else left to add? All right. I'm going to go a little bit off topic, you could say. Okay. Uh, I hate the NFL overtime rule. Oh, why? Because it's stupid? It is the worst overtime in sports. Seriously. And it is beyond me why there's so much of an an advantage given to the team that simply wins the coin toss. Mm -hmm. So much of an advantage that they can win the game without the other team having a chance to possess the ball. Why? Because they simply lost a coin toss. It doesn't make any sense to me. Like, I understand you can't do full college and just put them at the 25 because you're just going to kick field goals and, like, it's just going to be way too easy. Why don't you start from the 50 or opposing 40 or 45? Why don't you just put it from the touchback spot? At the 20? Yeah, but at the 20. Well, definitely one of two things is either going to happen. Teams are going to desperately try and leave the clock running. So one of two things is either going to happen if we say a 10-minute quarter because we'll reduce time for injury's sake. And, I mean, is it that bad if we actually have a tie? Um, yes. Go ahead and... Um, it is bad if you have a tie. I don't, think, I don't think it's that terrible if you have a tie. I hate ties. We'll get to it that It seems a like a waste of time. We'll get to that in a second. But you start them off at like the 25 or the 35. And you basically say you got 10 minutes to solve this out. Get a touchdown or not. And then if the clock runs out, then what you do is you say, all right, you got, I don't like doing a timeless drive. Yeah, I guess make it timeless. Actually, what I'd like to see, if we want to just kind of get crazy with it, what we should just do is go with like the... uh the sun's nearly set summer football rule, which is like, all right, you got four downs to get into the end zone. Go. <laughs> and let's see that. Because honestly, I'd be cool with sudden death in that case. Cause like, if you can't get four stops, that's on you as a defensive unit. If to win a game, you can't get four stops. That's on you. 
you Fair know, to, you know, like at that point, I feel like an NFL defense should be able to, you know, prevent teams from getting in the end zone like that. Uh, in any case, I do agree. I think it's a stupid thing. It's like Anton Shiger, like, what's the most you ever lost in a coin toss? Well, potentially the Super Bowl, depending on how it goes, as the Falcons, although they didn't deserve to win after their collapse, regardless. Yeah. You know, it's still, it, I do agree. Each team should possess the ball. That's my exactly. theory on it. If you have I possession be, and you do nothing with it, that's on you. And I would be more like, for example, instead of, uh, instead of going for a tie, why not, like... Uh, if 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 you go ten minutes and no one and uh, you have not reached a sol- uh, a winner, why not just have like instead of like a shootout in the NHL or whatever? Uh, like, why don't goals. you just have uh, field goals, but make them from like fifty five? Mm. Like I would rather see something like that. I mean, like I could. I could kind of see it. Honestly, though, I think you'd use the college rule, start them at the 40, and say you're not allowed to have special teams. So you can't kick field goals. You can't do anything like that. You have to go for two. Do that. You could You could do that, yeah. Yeah, and like it ices any sort of like neutral like that and basically says if your defense is better than their offense, you have a shot at winning this game. If their mm-hmm. offense is better than your defense, you won't. Let him yeah. go one for one. I think that's an easy solution to it. But yeah, the current setup is awful. I do want to circle back to those ties, though. I don't see the big deal with ties. Like, I'm not a big fan of them. I'm not rooting for a tie. But if it happens, I'm like, okay, it's fine. No, I I am so anti-tie because it just feels like if I watch a game that ends in a tie, it just seems like I wasted my time. I guess. It's just like, I don't think it's that big of a deal. Like, if that's like the overtime setup you use, I think it's okay. I don't think an overtime setup should be used to avoid a tie. I think an overtime setup should be used to try and determine a winner. And if it just cannot be done in a certain amount of time, then a tie is probably fair and fitting. Then kick field goals. I see. I feel like that's that's not a great solution. I used to think of that, and then I was like, but that's basically the shootout in the NHL, and I'm not a big shootout guy. So I can only imagine how much an NFL team would think about that. Plus, I can only imagine how pissed off I'd be as a coach if we went to the gimmick that is field goal kicking and, like, my kicker pulled their hamstring or something. Like, I'd okay, rather... I mean, at that point, at that point, that's like... I mean, yeah, it's probably not going to happen, but at the same time, it's like, I'd, I'd rather have a tie. If I'm a coach, I'd rather have a tie than uh, lose my kicker. I mean, of course, but, like, what are the odds of that happening? Sure, but, I mean, like, we saw it happen in the Washington Monday night game, and that was on an extra point. So are you saying don't kick extra points then? Well, personally, I think you should go for two, but that's neither here nor there. Um, but, uh, yeah. Anyway, well, all I got to really add this week is that cause I'm a big movie guy. Hell, two weeks from now, I'm probably going to give my top five and bottom five from the year. Because I see a lot of movies. Now, that's not important. What is important is that I just don't understand why you have like really solid, really good releases that get no showings, no press, no nothing. They're not even really promoted, say, by the theaters themselves. But then you have like your Marvel movie that gets 
17 showings and i'm not exaggerating that i literally just counted on my local amc and there is 17 showings starting today at 11 o'clock and running till 11 15 at night i'm sorry that's a bit excessive i don't think you need 17 showings of spider-man like no way home i don't think that's really necessary and like you have nightmare alley which seems to be a very solid movie as for and I understand there's a demand thing. It's a business thing at the end of the day. And Spider-Man in and of himself is popular. This particular Spider-Man is popular. There's a lot of press and a lot of, you know, stuff around it. It's only going to be out for like two days by the time we release it. So I won't get into any sort of extra anything because I don't want to spoil it if people have been deliberately trying to avoid it and avoid rumors and whatnot. But it's going to be a big thing. There's going to be a lot of people coming back, supposedly, uh, to this that were previously in the uh, Spider-Man movies. We'll put it like that. I think that's fake enough. So I get it. And also there's the MCU factor on top of that, too. So there's a lot that increases demand on this. But I don't understand why you need that much and why you can't promote other movies. Like, I understand that movies like The Last Duel aren't exactly, I get, fun's definitely the word that comes to my mind, it's not really a fun watch, with the one caveat to that being, if you really are into cinema, and you know how it gets made, and you studied it, like, basically, if you're basically me, and half of your degree is how to make film, then you absolutely love it, because it's an amazing movie from that angle. But it's not the kind of movie that I guess the lay person is going to walk into, especially because of the subject matter and some of the scenes in it. Are they not going to walk in and go, wow, I love this movie. I can see myself watching it again. It's not that kind of a film. But if you want a film like that, Belfast is certainly that. It's, you know, it's a drama film. There's stakes. There's tension. But it's not like disturbingly so. It's just a lighthearted 90-minute watch that's honestly pretty fun. Like, yeah, the stakes are serious. There's threat involved, but it's an easy enough watch. Then there's a plenty of other films like that, which I, I just think deserve to be promoted more than an MCU movie on a merit basis. I understand on a financial basis, that's not the case, and that's really what wins the day out. But, yeah, and that's not to say that, like, MCU or Spider-Man or superhero movies are not, you know, quality films. There is quality to it, but... I always kind of compare it to, to like this. Seeing like more of a non-MCU film, even if it's from a big studio, it's like seeing, like going to a local restaurant. You're never sure what kind of quality you're going to get. And it could be awful or it could be the best meal you ever had. And that's the fun of going into it. But if you go see like a franchise movie in general, really, but especially the MCU one, it's kind of like going to Applebee's. You know what you're going to get. It's not going to be offensively awful. In fact, a lot of people are going to like it. But it's never going to reach that certain height that it has. There's always going to be something left there. And you're going to leave it going, eh, it was fun, it was a good time, which I suppose is the reason most people, you know, go out to movies and go to baseball games and go and do things for. But you, it's never going to really reach some sort of higher meaning. Like, I've seen three or four that really can start to get at it but what they get at has been done so much better in other films and i i do appreciate that on a certain level they bring more people into theaters and bring more people into cinema and whatnot that otherwise won't have they introduce people to themes and ideas that they probably otherwise wouldn't have been introduced to and then they go out and they look at either the theme or 
the idea itself or they go out and search up for other content that explores it and probably does it a bit better because they're not handicapped by some sort of grand architect plan or by any sort of in-world restrictions. So I appreciate them from that perspective, but it's just for me, there, I, it, it kind of annoys me that I see they have 17 showings in one day and they have the same amount for like four or five days straight. And yet you have these movies coming from, you know, top of the line directors and top of the line talent that can't even bother getting more than three showings in a day. And it just kind of bothers me like that, especially when one of the showings is like 10 o'clock at night, which I mean, not many people are going out to see a two and a half hour long movie at 10 o'clock at night. So that's what I got there. That's my, I'm not a big movie guy. I'm not a big superhero guy. So yeah. I don't know if I have too much to add there, but I, yeah. I, I kind of like you. Not a, not a huge movie guy, honestly. So I guess with that, we got nothing else left to add. The show went on longer than I thought. Who knows how long it will be after the edit, but... We'll talk to you next week, but until then, don't forget to play ball.